This is the MagicWordPodcast.com. We are now on the third and final day of the Magic Collector Expo 2023, and we are in the dealer's room right now. We're getting ready soon to have a morning session, and the nice thing about this is our morning sessions don't start till 11 o'clock. Hey, we're old, you know, so we all sleep in, you know, go to bed early and then get up early, but we got to visit with everybody else to kind of see, and that's what this whole thing is about, getting to see some friends. I start to say old friends, but it's not that we're old, it's just we've known each other for a long time, and one of the people I want to reintroduce you to is Julie Yang, right here with Magicana. Hello, Julie. Good Hello. Good morning. <laughs> It's good to see you then as well. And coming all the way down from Canada, you're in Vancouver? No, Toronto. Oh, Toronto. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I thought I saw David Ben also. He did, yeah. Show. It's, you know, we're back in person, Scott. So it's nice mm-hmm. everybody can sort of, you know, travel again, feel comfortable. Right. This is a really terrific turnout, as you said. You know, mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of our friends here. It's fantastic. Now, I assume, like me, you've never seen Bruce Averbrook's uh, collection until yesterday. No. Oh, my. Well, your eyes just opened. Wow. I know. <laughs> I'm not allowed to say what I said. I have to edit heavily here. It was, it was really a jaw-dropping. There's three floors, guys. So, you know, mm-hmm. I left my jaw upstairs and it kept falling. Yeah. It's yeah. level after level of, of unbelievable magic collected and displayed lovingly in a curatorial way, mm-hmm. which was, I mean, I thought that was a real treat to see because, you know, Bruce has been collecting this for so long. Right. And we, as, you know, we've seen these collectors gather and, you know, it's fun at auctions. It's always a bit, you know, in, in tongue in cheek because it's fun. It's, it's about, ah, oh, what are you, where are you going to stick that under the bed kind of thing? Shove it in the right. closet. How are you going to get that home? That kind of. I remember going to uh, Nick Ruggiero's house, and we were looking at posters. He just went to his bedroom. He pulled all these posters out from underneath his bed, you know? <laughs> right. Let's do that. Like, that's how we, the teasing side yeah. of it. Yeah. Now, this is not what we saw yesterday. No. I, this, I would say, is David Copperfield Museum East. Museum <laughs> caliber. Um, yeah. Bruce has been wise enough to to partner with some curators as well and some mm. art art experts outside of the magic community to help them not only display, but to think about curatorial themes and and also preservation and provenance. And how are you going to track that? How are you going to database that? How are you going to record that? You know, I'm interested in the idea of the digital um, scans that he and his team will eventually make mm-hmm. because it's, a, it's, it's building a true archive. Like, it's not just something to look at. It's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. It is mm-hmm. beautiful. But... To have it as a working library with actual archival value. Right. I mean, for us as a magic community and for, with this new, I, not new, but a very strong uprising of interest in, in history, mm-hmm. you know, we have this amazing resource now. And he's got all these chairs around and, of course, in his library where you can sit and look at or research and write down notes or whatever. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's it's set up like an institution in the yeah. sense of it's inviting. Yeah. It's um, research-friendly. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, one has to set up. It's also private, right? Right, that's true. And, and the way I think that it's designed, the architecture of this is amazing, so that you can kind of sit almost on any floor and kind of look at other floors, I mean, because there's an open concept in the middle, the way that it walks around. It's it. a beautiful concept. Yeah. Right from the beginning, mm-hmm. Bruce had a vision. You know, he wanted to display. So, first of all, you need space. And fortunately for him, he has now created the space it's adjacent to the home it's not the home and to have this grand staircase literally a grand staircase and it was always called that in the architectural schematics to have this idea of coming down one to one level turning 
going down another level, you get a really grand sense, but it's a column that's open. Yeah. And there's this huge pillar that runs against it. So, you know, it's a supporting beam or pillar. However, you know, he's, he's got all this, he's multiple three sheets hanging on top of each yeah. other. Yeah. And beautifully displayed. And the lighting is a uh, gallery museum quality lighting yeah. and everything then too. So yeah. it's. Yeah. And the, the way that the, the team and Bruce really wanted to display in areas and collections, but how do you choose that? How do you find your themes? Like, do you put your Okito stuff here? You know, how are you going to deal with Delo Dell? She kept moving around. Yeah. <laughs> because does she belong here? Does she belong? Like, it talks about the versatility right. in the magic and the breadth of Bruce's collection. Right. It's really one of the wildest general magic collections one could ever, can, you know, our guys have focuses for mm -hmm. obvious reasons, you know, either research or interest. Bruce bought everything. <laughs> kind of like whatever Jay Marshall didn't have that sold the Copperfield he got or something. It's got like, yeah, he has everything something over there. Something to that effect. That's true. Uh, well, speaking of which, well, that was part of what some of the presentation was about last night. We had a fellow who was talking about the um, uh, what you do with uh, you, as you look after your, your collection and people who are those people who uh, kind of get into a your business, you know, then they shouldn't, Sometimes you know. Sometimes with a nefarious theme, is that the one you're That was it, yeah. To? <laughs> Steals, lifts, and body loads, the funny business of magic collecting by uh, Phil Schwartz. I thought Phil did a, an excellent job of looking at the, the... It's a very difficult subject because we're a close-knit community. Mm -hmm. And when someone infiltrates that very safe network mm -hmm. and has very nefarious... And I'm afraid to say, you know, singular needs and wants mm -hmm. to feel that they can appropriate other people's stuff. By going into to their families, their widows. and yeah. Both with theft, through manipulation, mm -hmm. through pure cons and lies mm -hmm. and fraud. Mm -hmm. It's it's disgusting and it's astonishing. And my mother um, relies on me to help her dispose of her, my father's collection. Right is by no means anything to, you know, he had a very simple collection. But the idea that people could come and infiltrate and take advantage of her, just, you know, it's a very unsettling feeling. This, right. You know, my dad never expected to die with that kind of a collection left. Right. And so this is what Phil was saying. You know, sometimes people are caught off guard and things happen, life happens. So you need to plan. Mm -hmm. I said this to my colleague, David. I said, you know, you have a beautiful collection. Part of your responsibility is what happens to it. That's exactly right. You can't, you can't put that burden on your family either. You cannot. You, they don't know necessarily. No. And no. You, how can you ask them to have that level of interest? That's your interest. Because you're a stamp collector. Wow, that's well, well put. You're exactly right. <laughs> yeah. And it's that I was thinking of you know, that King George is, you know, trying to impose stamp collecting onto his son. <laughs> yeah. So the, the whole point is, you know, Phil... Phil, while he was highlighting some very sad stories, he had some really great takeaways, and that is be responsible. Right. Take an initiative. It's not say get rid of everything. Just be responsible. This came from here. He had this really interesting affidavit. Uh, no, sorry, a notarized, um, what did he call it? Well, it was a statement. It was a sort form, of an indemnity yeah. thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was basically a, a a simple legal document that states, I have not done this. I've not given this away. I've not made other priority. Anything outside of my will or a exactly. state. Exactly. Yeah. It's a very simple statement. Mm -hmm. he, he, 
I believe uh, it was from Bruce's lawyer who had drawn mm -hmm. it up, you know, just because they don't want to have that happen mm -hmm. to, to Bruce's family or to his estate should this beautiful collection have to come to a point where it is, you know, redistributed. Okay. If it's redistributed. But then there's another question, Scott. He has three unbelievable floors. Is that going to be redistributed? Does it go to another institution? Like, he has a lot to think about. That's true. And unfortunately, we don't know how much time any of us have left. You know? Yes. And we'd like to think there's a lot more time, which is another reason why you should start to consider giving away some of your things or disposing of it however you want, if you planned on selling it or whatever. Or to, uh, I mean, you, for the most part, our children and our heirs don't care for it. A few pieces, yes, perhaps. But for the most part, you know, make sure that it gets in the hands of people who really want it as as you can right now. I mean, I've got a pretty massive book collection and uh, stuff, and I'm starting to give things away to people I think who couldn't use it or deserve it, you know. I think that's part of that's part of the network I love about the community. You know, you see a young person who might benefit. You just interviewed somebody yesterday mm -hmm. who we were discussing, and, you know, here's a young person really raring to go, getting into it. So maybe that's where some things should belong now. In Good a point. different generation that then they forward everything. That's right. For Pay us. it forward. For us. That's right. One of the people actually started off last night was uh, Richard Cohen, and we spoke with him last evening after his show uh, or after his presentation. He was talking about Rotaire Revisited, and that was uh, about a magician who is a little known among the rest of uh, magic history historians as uh, Rotaire. Uh, so we kind of covered that last evening. Did you have any comment or anything about how you enjoyed that? Or well, more I, about him or? Richard, Richard is without a doubt one of the great storytellers of our art. Yeah. <laughs> and did, I mean, there's nothing more I can add than here's a guy who took the time to bring an accordion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To he accompany. Played an accordion down the <laughs> aisle as he came up to the stage. Because he's wow. thinking about telling the story and making Rotaire memorable. That's right. And that's exactly what he he's did. He's exactly <laughs> what he did. <laughs> uh, finally, we had Memories of the Blackstone Senior Show uh, that was hosted by Bill Smith and featured uh, uh, Al Belmont. And I thought that was fascinating to have someone on stage who had actually been on stage with Blackstone Sr. and received a rabbit from him, even. You know? I know. And then to have that affect the rest of his life. I mean, mm -hmm. here's a pivotal moment, truly, as a, what, what did he say, five, seven, eight-year-old? Mm -hmm. right. I mean, there's the bunny. He's getting the rabbit. Stop. You squeeze too hard. <laughs> and to listen to Al talk about that experience and then the ability to somehow magically have these, this amazing universal coincidence that allowed him with, with, you know, difficult funding situations, all of a sudden opportunities opened up and he's able to acquire part of the Blackstone show. Right. I mean, that's... Including the very item of the crystal casket that had impressed him since he was a child. And the bunny. <laughs> That's right. The uh, bunny. He didn't even yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, that was done. Yeah. That was that's talking that serendipitous curve. You know, what a beginning, middle, end story. And yeah. I, I can see why Bill Bill Smith is great. You know, he's put on this terrific convention. Right. He thinks about the content and he thinks about the human story. Mm -hmm. I, for me, I that's what really moves me. I I've, mm -hmm. I'm part of a magic family. I've I've grown up with this. I've known a lot of stories. I've seen great ones. I've seen sad ones. You know, we've seen this, sure. this, this range. And to see this convention and something like, you know, Al's story, you just like, you know, you just walk out with a smile. It's true. That's true. So many good uh, presentations. We still got a full day of them. We're going to be starting up here very shortly with another one then as well. Julie, thank you very much. Always good to see. Always good to see. I guess you'll be seeing Magic Live again this year. I'll see you at Magic Live. All right. Until later. That was Julie Yang. 
with uh, Magical. This is Scotty out. Not not Magical. Sorry, that's the name Magicana. of your magazine. Magicana. Magical is the We're gonna have to take Scott. I'm gonna go sell him a Magical right now, guys. <laughs> this is Scotty out. We have just completed the afternoon session, and the dealers are going to be open for a little bit longer. And then we're going to be, I think, having another session before our, our banquet dinner. And uh, things are going swimmingly well. This is just a great convention in so many ways. And this is unique, as we've talked about already on this podcast, about how that we have uh, done special things. Like we've gone uh, taken the bus tour uh, to see a, a couple of amazing collections, one of which was uh, Bruce Averbooks, and we have his uh, him with us to talk right now. So, Bruce, hello, and thanks and welcome. Oh, you're welcome, Scott. <laughs> thanks for having me on again. <laughs> yes. Well, I, when I had heard about your collection, you were talking about this last year, and I was when surprised. We were Magic Live. Exactly. And you were saying about that you had built this house, I guess, during COVID, and, and but the architects, it was, it was hard to imagine what it was going to look like until I got in there. And it was just an amazing museum. And as I just signed in your book in there saying, from now on, I'm going to be calling David Copperfield's museum the Bruce Averbook Museum West. So, uh, no, don't do it. It is amazing. What David's stuff you have. museum is amazing yeah. and special. And it's we're both different. It's different sure. because yeah. of, of how we set it but you up. You got a bar. He didn't have a bar like that. Like you know, well, you can always put a bar. He, <laughs> you know, and he'll, I'm sure he could get you a drink. I mean, yeah. I mean, he but has the thing a that Kerry had built down there was cool. You know, with the with the lampshades and whatnot that he had built oh, and all that. Yeah. It's a great place and a great resource. I mean, and he's been very generous to everybody. You yeah. Know, so. Uh, I'm, it's kind of a, I think he and I talk a little bit now, yeah. which is cool. You didn't before? You know, during the course of this time a bit, but we've gotten mm -hmm. to know each other a little better. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, he's, he's, uh, very knowledgeable and oh, has yeah. a great, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, sense of magic, of course. I mean, uh, he's a legend and he's a living legend. We're well. very fortunate to have him alive and doing this. So, you know, we talk sometimes and, uh, get some ideas. So, mm -hmm. you know, and he's, how can I say this? I think that what he's doing is very special. And, it really uh, is. Yeah. And when he got involved in this, I remember hearing the story that Mike Caveney had suggested to him, hey, you need to buy, maybe it was the Mulholland collection, I think it first got him into that. Was there something or somebody that got, I mean, you were from L.A., you lived out, <laughs> and you were brought up like around the castle and everything. So was there something that to you, uh, it's like, hey, I'm going to start collecting? Well, you know, I guess you know, I was doing magic uh, as a kid. I mean, I'm making some money doing it too, mm. uh, and involved with the castle. My parents were became associate members because uh, of my interest. And you were a junior at the time, or no? They this pre they, they oh. never had juniors at okay. that point. Mm -hmm. Even <laughs> there's some real funny stories and interludes, so which I'll, I can expound a little bit. But they they didn't have they had you know I you know I used to go there for the Sunday brunches as a kid and see everybody you know Di Vernon uh Larry Jones Bruce Servant yeah, yeah. Charlie Miller uh, all these guys and then I asked them like to do some a show so they let me do some shows in the close up room mm -hmm. when I was you know what 12 15 I'm, yeah. I was you know and I I was pretty good mm -hmm. you know they I think they give it free lunch uh, free brunch or something like that yeah to the performer yeah but it was pre Diana Zimmerman uh, Zimmerman yeah. doing that and the funny thing is Diana Zimmerman and Dick lived up my street. 
Oh, how funny is that? Okay. I was on Spring Park. They were on, like, I think it's Holt, but it just up the street. And I, and I was all, I found out about this. I was always too shy to go and knock on the Where door. Now that I know Diana, <laughs> she says, why didn't you do that? Why didn't you? But I was, I was, you know, everybody was, I felt in this reverence. And, I would love to have know. heard Dick Zimmerman practice his jazz piano. Yeah, go, you know what I mean? Just go and hang out yeah. and listen to him practice. Well, I was too young to appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, break know. time, I guess, what he kind of yeah. did. So, but getting into, but so let's, a number of the things that I got into that I say is collecting, I, you know, I had it as a kid. Like, I would go up to, you know, Holly, you know, Burt Wheeler's Hollywood Magic. I met Louis St. Pierre Sr. and I bought my first magic and books from them. My, uh, you know, went to Joe Berg's magic shop in Hollywood. I would take the bus 45 minutes. I'd go on my own and, and walk. Hollywood Boulevard to the two shops mm -hmm. and buy tricks and uh, magic tricks. I always have to clarify that. <laughs> um, the, to a certain generation. Yeah, yeah. but it was it, it was wonderful. So like my Owen divination, I, I got it at Joe Berg's. Mm -hmm. You know, my coin kill is at was at uh, M. Desecto was at Hollywood Magic. So these things I, became very personal to you. Yeah, they're, and they're there in the museum. Yeah, yeah. they're there. Mm -hmm. Um, but real collecting, as far as collecting went, uh, about 1991, nine, yeah, 1991. And I was at the National Cancer Institute with the NIH doing my fellowship in surgical oncology. Uh, and, uh, as I said in the, uh, the discussion the other day with the interview, uh, I met a, uh, this guy, George Wu, the psychic detective, great guy, retired police detective. <laughs> And we became best buddies doing stuff, trying to fool each other. And he invited me into this group called the Scorpions. Mm -hmm. and it was like six to eight guys, and they would meet uh, once a month and try to fool each other. And, yeah. and uh, the person who uh, would win, we all voted, would get a prize. Uh, Ken Trombley was, uh, you know, one of the members, and Ken had this fantastic collection, was interested in collecting mm -hmm. and his posters, and Ken kind of put the switch on it wow. hey, there's a way to get some of these things there's lists you know and he oh, yeah. she showed me kind of where to go for this so mario carandi and Lorana lessi Kina thompson all these i started to find out and call these them up and the lists would come out and that's how i kind of started with the collecting i'd learn about it and then i more and more you know getting back into the history and reading about it and the, the passion for it was always there mm -hmm. Um, and grew a little at a time, that. just started building yeah. up like just that. Start, I started out with small little apparatus, little, little at Brema, I love Brema. And, uh, were you buying and or trading at the time? No. Well, I would buy little things, but, uh, you know, trading, I didn't, I didn't have enough to trade. You yeah. Know? I was, are you at a point now? Do you trade? I mean, I, I remember, for an example, I was talking with uh, Nick Rogerio many years ago, and he was <laughs> now different ways of magicians are displaying this. And I was just talking with um, uh, someone earlier about this and saying about how when I was visiting at his house, and he would show me some posters, we went to his bedroom and pulled them out from underneath the bed, you know. And huh. we were going through these things, and I said, "Well, this is interesting." He said, "Well, I'll trade you for it because I had a Blackstone poster that he didn't have, and he wanted that." And I started thinking, so that's how you know you acquire things. You don't buy it from a collector; you trade with a collector. You know something? Trading for me is really hard. Hmm. And there's a number of guys that want to trade now. I, because I like these things. Sure. I, and, they mean and something to you. Have to, and also, there's a story. You know, getting part of what I'm doing, part of the impetus and what I've do, been doing recently now that I've retired from surgery is getting everything lined up so I know what, I, what duplicates I have, what I can trade, what I can't, because I don't want to 
trade some things that I want to keep. Right. And I mean, I know that's what Ken and everybody, they, they trade their duplicates for the most right. part. Right. Not, none of these guys really want to trade their unique piece. So they want, but they want my unique piece. Mm -hmm. So it's funny. I've, tra I've done some trades. Uh, I always feel like I've lost something when I've traded. So I, but I have done some trades. Yeah. I'm happy. Even though you've acquired some something new, but you still missed the thing that you spent so long to acquire. Right. And I, and I, and I also, you know, there was a reason I, I picked it up. You know, so I, it's so trades are hard for me because I think that I always, I also, not, I'm always not sure I got the right, I did the right thing in terms of the deal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. do you, and how do you do a trade? Do you just do it because you really, really want it or do you set a value on the, on it and say, well, let's trade equal value. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to some extent, maybe that's the better way to do it. And I, I, you know, I've got a few guys wanting to trade for something now and I'm, I'm not sure I want to, I, it's a duplicate of a, rare pieces maybe only two of yeah and but i haven't seen anything that's really bowled me over to make me really want to do that gotcha. trade right so they're not offering the thing that they would want to give up that's really special right right uh, i want them to you know they they have to come up with something really special i was wondering yesterday and i don't know how many people might be thinking this in the back of their mind it's a question that is unasked and that is like for collectors particularly like you in the copperfield do you like at some time during the day, I mean, there are different chairs and you've got in the bar in different places to go and sit. Do you just kind of sit and you pull off a book, you look at it, uh, read a book or, uh, you know, and then you kind of look around, reflect on these things and think, I really got, I love, you know, this was a good story. I like how I got this one. Or, you know, maybe I can find something else. I mean, do you sit in there and reflect it or do you invite people over? Do you have parties? I mean, you got a bar. I mean, of course, now this is relatively new and you oh, yeah, just. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're just starting. I mean, I'm just. Yeah. What is your you know, plan for uh, opening this up, and what? How do you well, enjoy it's a, it? It's a private museum. You know, I thought about creating a foundation, but there's some certain legal aspects to it because it's mm. attached to the house, and I can't do it quite like that. I could make an off-site foundation if I wanted to, but then everything you have is out of your estate, mm. and you know, all the money I've put into it, you know, wouldn't be for the family in the future. You know, and how do you keep this all together? You have to have the money to keep it together, and the endowment. A lot of foundations die, right. so. And shortly you know, after the person who owns it dies, you know, right, you're right. Right. How do you keep a foundation going? going? And then what about the collectors? Is this, should this go back to the community? We've talked about this pe with people. This is a, on the Phil Schwartz's Thayer side. This right. is some of the discussions. So I have yet to completely decide how I'm going to manage that. As far as a private museum, I'm going to keep it a private museum and not a public. Uh, I'm going to create a, a business mm -hmm. entity, uh, which is an on, with an online presence, uh, to, to do that properly too, uh, and maybe sell some merchandise or have, sell some sure. things. Maybe I'll put some things in in the Potter and Potter auction, Haversat Ewing auctions, and try to, you know, do or Jim Rollins auctions. Try to do some things with the, these people who also helped me out over the years. Um, so, you know, my but my goal with this is 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 more than just the museum per se. I want to do some what I call academic magic. Mm -hmm. I'd like to publish, I'd like to write, I'd like to work with people on doing uh, some good projects. So we have some projects in the works already. I want to give back. Magic for me, as I told everybody, was has been something that, uh, you know, keeps me kind of sane sure. in an insane world. And I mm -hmm. dealt with life and death every day. Yeah. This was a way that uh, I... I don't know, escaped or was healthy. And I, and I think it's very healthy for people to know and, about magic and to be entertained by magic. I think what we do, we don't always understand how, how important it is. I actually used 
the concepts of magic in my practice for dealing with people with cancer and their pain control, not just doing a magic trick, which would happen right now, but the actual use of the principles that we know psychologically can make a huge difference on someone's outcome, in my opinion. Of course, yeah. Uh, and I use that, and I think to great effect, had a, you know, really, really worked well with my people. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I don't, I see the museum as, it's not about me. You know, everybody wants to make it about me, and they said, oh, I, of course I have some ego into it, but it's not about, it's about the magic and about what it's done for me, and I want to give back. Mm-hmm. So that, on, on the, on, so that's one. Number two, uh, the, the museum, I want to have people have access to see things and learn about things. And we have to get more information on some of these articles and items and, and, and objects in the museum. Uh, I want it to be for research to some extent. I, there are things that I want to work on. So I've held them close to my heart, but I want to publish and do so. I haven't been able to really give, right. give that up to people. Right. So like the project that John Cox and Mike Cavity and I are working on oh, with looks the, like a great book coming out with yeah. the book. It's going to be coming uh, out magic live. Is that right? They're going to release it this year. I think we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll see how fast we can move. I mean, yeah. John's done a great job of translating. I mean, I, you know, told him about a few things, but John, you know, he just, you know, he pulls it all together. He yeah. knows he is that. Vo- and I've, you know, we talked to a number of other people who are willing to get all the guys and the guys that publish were willing to contribute and be helpful. Mm-hmm. This is a great community. And, uh, you know, right. I, I selected Mike uh, uh, for a variety of reasons. Went to John because John has been talking to me about this for a long time. He's really wanted to see this right. book. So we, I wanted him to, to, to be in his hands, but I wanted to do it in a way that fit my timeline, what was right to, to, to where I would be involved in a, in a significant way. And that's why we're doing it now. But the, that's part of it. So I, I have other projects. Uh, Dave Haversat and I have a project. Uh, Magic Can and I will have a project. We, we're talking, Ken Trombley and I and Rich Hatch have a project. Mm-hmm. There are things that I want to do with people and get information out mm-hmm. for the future for magic. I, I, I think it's really important. And um, so I see it as a, you know, a mechanism to grow the magic uh, information and history uh, to promote appreciation of our history too and uh, that's why i call also the that's why i call it the magic art museum mm-hmm. and library the magic the art, this is this is not it's not just you know it's, it's artistic the beauty of it there's right. so much you know when you're in my museum mm-hmm. the way i try to set it up is that you, things play off of each other the yeah. colors the color schemes and the Okay. Yeah, the feng shui of this is beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that. <laughs> so you know, it's it's there's there's a there's a the perspective from an artistic standpoint. It's yeah. beautifully laid I out. I wanted to do it with that in mind. So it's not, you know, you go and you look at a, a painting, a mm-hmm. significant. You, it's you know, yes, there's a hopefully there's a message or something, mm-hmm. but there's also a feeling. Mm-hmm. You look at the the magic. There's a feeling, and we all, for a lot of us, a lot of it's nostalgic. A lot of it's uh, personal, personal and a lot of it is is how it makes us feel uh, about life right you know and what and also what it what did it mean back when 
Houdini was alive, when Thurston was alive. Right. When, you know, we, we have the sense of the golden age. Well, we're living in a really pretty cool magic age now, too. We are. We are. Well, one of the things also, then, Bruce, as we start to wrap up over here, yes. is just about the uh, – we're opening this up, and now people are going to be talking about this, that they haven't talked about your museum from before. So there will be more people probably reaching out to you saying, hey, how can I get a private right. uh, tour of this? So right. how are you going to handle that, and will you be offering tours to people who yes. – magicians who reach out? We've, you know, it's funny, I've already had a, a letter from uh, the Western Reserve Architectural Historical Society. I, it's funny, because I was just thinking about the Architectural Digest. Your place would be perfect. I could just see that in that magazine. But the, anyhow. The, but the, <laughs> so they want to come. I mean, I, this is through a referring dermatologist for many years. Uh -huh. He knew about this, and he wants to bring this group, because he's the president. Yeah, so, this, yeah. so what I'm... We have, I have yet to sit down and completely organize it. This is the, we, we really pushed hard to get had this. a deadline to have this, and this was the a deadline, very good yeah. impetus to do this. Yeah. Now comes a lot of hard work on some of the organizations. How do I set it up so it's, cause it's my home too. Sure. And my, I want to stay married. <laughs> so I haven't met your wife, but the picture I took of you the other day that, uh, she looks like she is a great companion and she loving is, woman. But she has, you know, she she's been great. She's, I mean, yeah, thank support you. <laughs> yeah, she's been wonderful. But you know, it's it's she wants time for us and, sure. you know, so I can't have people coming every week, mm -hmm. right? I can't. I've there's things I have you to have set up. I have to set a schedule. So we've got to figure that out a little bit. I have, fortunately, I have, I have some great museum people working with me. Uh, real people with with a lot of information and background. And I think I'm going to also tap their research, their knowledge on maybe how I would set this up and to talk to some other people, but I think it would have to be limited times, you know, and that, you know, clearly friends and people in the, the collectors different. community would call me and we'd set something up. That's what it was like what I did uh, before with uh, Ken Klosterman. The Ken Klosterman was a good friend. And so uh, I would stay at his home and I had all the time I wanted to go in and, and uh, even gave me uh, a check that Thurston had signed, the long story. But he was always very kind to me and said, you know, great. whenever you're in town, just stop by. I mean, I was, it was just like a, you know, next door neighbor kind of a guy, you know. You know, to some extent, I'd like to be like that, but yeah. I think I have to be, have some limits because my wife has, it, you know, maybe she's a little different than Judy was. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Judy was wonderful. Yeah, so Lorene has some some limits, and we have so I have to kind of set it a little bit. I remember like having that. breakfast with them, and Judy turned to Ken and said, "I don't know, you know, about all these other guys, but uh, as for magicians, uh, I really like this guy. He can come back anytime because he doesn't just talk about magic; he talks about other things that are of interest to me. You know." <laughs> I was flattered that uh, that she, you know, thought of me of, as being a friend more than just a magician who was wanting to see his collection. You know? That's but, great. Yeah. Um, so, it's, yeah, yeah, something you got to figure. So out. So I've got to figure it out a little bit because, and I think it's, it's some of it's going to be on the fly. I mean, say you call me, you want you're going to be in, coming up, you want to be in the air, we'll set something up. Yeah. You know, or I'll say I can't do it. We're going to be out of town, or we're gonna, you know, I there's, there, you know, it's it's going to vary. I've got you know. The, to some extent, right? But I'm going to keep it a private. It can't be public. It's a residential I area. Sure. Uh, you don't have cars driving up and down. Your neighbor's going to start to complain for long too. And right. <laughs> the neighbors know. The neighbors want to see. Oh. <laughs> well, you know that's something. What you should probably do first off is let the neighbors see, so this way that they can be talking about it as well. So when you do have cars coming in, they're knowing what some they're seeing. Some of the neighbors have been. It's a nice community. Yeah, it is. And one of the one of the things you notice about my place, and it's a big place, mm -hmm. but it doesn't look so big from the outside, does it? No. It's, it's, we did that on, it's like a Gonzanita box. <laughs> we, we, we did that on purpose. Gonzanita box, yeah, yeah. Gonzanita box, yeah, I'm sorry, I say Gonzanita, Gonzanita box. It's, it's, it, it, 
it looks it doesn't look as big on the outside as it's like a TARDIS, right? And we did <laughs> it. we didn't want to be too We I want I didn't want a a place that a long winding driveway away. I wanted in a community. Mm. There's some advantages that when sure. you get to know the neighbors, they can keep a lookout on your place, right? Uh, they're uh, they're involved. They're very interested in coming over and seeing. They, we've had neighbors over who have an idea about what's going on. One of the one and one of the neighbors may be our next mayor. Mm-hmm. So. And the police chief has been over. Nice. The current mayor has been over. People are really interested mm-hmm. in this community. So it's, it's, it's fun for them, too. And so yeah. I want to keep it that way. So, yes, they'll, so maybe they'll be a little flexible on certain things yeah. that we might do. Uh, and the other thing I didn't even mention, I want to do fundraising. Oh, that's a good idea. I want to. I, I want to do so, like for my the hospitals. For yeah, uh, people can pay to come in, and then they go to a certain fund right. that you. Uh, yeah. Well, or, or, designate. The, or, or like you know, or charities. We I want to do some fundraising sure. there and get some magicians in and do that. And the local magic clubs. I'd like to utilize that. Right. And the stage downstairs right. is. We put the things on the stage now, but that's not the way it was intended. Right. That's just for this. I understand. Well, Bruce, thanks very much, you know, for opening your home and opening your museum and uh, everything that you've done for the magic community to, and also uh, not just for this generation, but for generations to come because the legacy will certainly live on, I think, with everything that you have done and your, your love and attention to, uh, to not just magic, but to the beauty and the art of magic. So thank you very thanks, much. Uh, well, thanks for taking for the time to interview me. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, it was hard to catch. It's been a little You've been nuts. a busy guy. <laughs> I don't want to keep hounding you and I'm trying to get people as I can. So thank you for your time. Appreciate right. it, Bruce. Great, thank so, you. You bet. So the Magic Word Podcast. That was Bruce Haverbrook. Move back over into the dealer's room because the dealers are starting to roll up their posters and pack up their props and uh, getting ready to put things away. And one of the people who was not a presenter, but he had a few things to say, and that's Lance Burton. Hey, you know, Lance? Scott, how are you? I'm yeah, fantastic. Uh, that was interesting. David Charvet was giving a lecture on magicians in their cars. Automobiles. Conjurers in their cars. Conjurers in their cars. And he, he went through, you know, just, you know, Houdini's car that he drove and mm-hmm. that he owned and, and, and all the magicians of that era. And, yeah. and then cars Thurston. that they use in, in shows. Thurston they is vanished. Vanishing they Whippet. Whippet. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so then he had videos of, uh, he had a video of uh, several magicians who, who had vanished a car. And he closed with, with my vanishing car from, from my first television special. 1996. Yes. And, and uh, that was shot at Caesar's Palace. And uh, that was actually the first time we did the vanishing car. And then it, because I was still at the Hacienda at the time. And that was done for a live audience. That wasn't... Uh, yeah, that was in okay. front of a live audience. Uh, and then uh, a, a few months later, I opened at the Monte Carlo, and we had it in a live show. I was going to say, that didn't look like the Monte Carlo stage. So that was... Where that was Caesar's that? Palace. Caesar's, okay. That's where we... I was, I was performing at the Hacienda, but we shot the TV special at Caesar's. Okay. And then... Uh, and then uh, a few months later, we opened at the Monte Carlo, and, and that's when I, I had a stage big enough to do the vanishing car mm-hmm. in the show. So, yeah, so I just got up and told a little of the background of, of my involvement. That was very insightful. Uh, it's nice that Johnny Gone was there, as well as Bill Smith, because yeah. Bill had built that, I guess. For Bill you. built mine, and Johnny Gone had built uh, Mark well, Wilson's vanishing car. And, was, and he used kind of a cargo knit type yes, of illusion. That was the first one. He showed that, that in was, 1980, yeah. I think it was. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> that was the first and only time Mark ever did it. It was for a TV special. <laughs> and they hadn't even rehearsed it. They hadn't rehearsed it, and, <laughs> and it was... It, and the the best part was was Johnny talking about lifting that contraption up off the stage. It was four separate chain motors. 
Yeah. And they were not synced together. Yeah. So you got four stagehands operating four chain motors. Right. Very tricky because you, you know if, you if one goes up a little inch at a time. If if one goes a little faster, it could tilt the platform. The car could roll off. And that's what he was saying. After the, it was over, they were trying to let it back down, and it, they had took a long longer to go down than to go back up because yeah. it was starting to roll out. Yeah. So, those <laughs> are, there was a lot of danger that could have been involved. Pe- people love hearing those behind the scenes <laughs> stories. They also showed the one of Kalanag actually on a television show yes. of produce vanishing uh, yes. his car. And that was the method that. Basically, the method I think Thurston used it was the it, they pulled the it in a garage yeah. and it was it was a forty five degree slats yeah with the mirrors that slide into place mm-hmm. so so that was interesting because I we'd seen photos of course of it read it in in books right but but as far as I know that's the only video uh, film I've First seen, I've of, seen that. of that yeah. Now, your poster actually showed uh, these ladies, your assistants, who were around the stage, but it was a floating uh, Corvette. So, did you fly a car or just vanish a car? Yes, or both? I did. For the, at the at the uh, Monte Carlo, I opened the second half of the show with the car production. Mm-hmm. So it was a peering car, and then I drove it forward, and then I did the Miser's Dream with the kid from the audience, and I put the kid in the car. And uh, and vanished the car mm-hmm. with the kid in it. Yeah. And then I would say to the parents, I can bring your kid back or the car, whichever you like. <laughs> That's a great line. And then the thunder clap would happen and, and the evil uh, villain would come on mm-hmm. with the girls and they would uh, do the hangman. They, they hung me. Mm-hmm. And then I came down the chandelier. In the middle of the theater, and is that when you did the uh, and, and the ran sword up, fight and ran? No, that was later. That was okay. the end of the show. But same character. Yeah. He, he appeared like two or three times during yeah. the show, and then at the end of the show, we did the sword fight and uh, with the transposition. And then I introduced the cast, and everybody took a bow. And then you got time for one more, and the curtain would <laughs> yeah. open, and there's the car. I jump in the car. And uh, they'd cover it with a cloth. It would float up in the air, and it would float through a giant hoop. I had a giant 10-foot-tall yeah. hoop. That you could hold? That the girl, it was oh, on a stand. Yeah. The girls, yeah. and, and the car floated through it. Yeah. And they pulled the cloth off, and there's the car floating. And then the wheels flipped up, and smoke came out the back, and the car flew off into the air as the curtain closed. <laughs> back to the future. And that was, yeah, yeah, kind of back to the future. And that was the last trick. And then the, I would come out for my final bow. Mm-hmm. Good show. I remember that uh, seeing at Monte Carlo a few times. That was it was excellent. So, are you a collector? Or would you consider yourself? I know you got like some of Blackstone's Junior's things. And I, I, I've seen some things. Yeah, I'm, I'm desperately trying not to become a collector. <laughs> I'm desperately. You consider yourself an accumulator at this point? <laughs> well, I, I moved back to the farm and I built a warehouse. I have all of my props, all of my illusions, all of my costumes, all of my scenery and yeah. drops. I have it all there. But do you have that uh, arranged for, you know, it, somebody taking it later rather than getting lost? Like No, we're, we're trying to get it organized now. We're in the process of putting industrial shelving up and good. getting everything organized. Mm-hmm. You know, I want all the drops over here in one section and mm-hmm. all labeled, and I want all the levitations in one section. And so I'm trying. that's what we're working on now, getting it all organized. Are you thinking about maybe having a little bit of a museum for people to come no, take a look at? It's no, just, I'm just storage only. I'm just, I'm just storing it. And, and right. uh, you know, when Siegfried and Roy retired, I was over at their warehouse, and Siegfried points out all of his illusions. And he says, there they are. There's the illusions. There's the costumes. They're all there. They're safe. When I'm dead, they can do what they want with them. And they have. Yeah. <laughs> so, it was a big auction. So, yeah. So that's exactly. it. I'm, I'm just... 
I'm just, there they are when I'm dead. Yeah. You know, who knows? I know where they are. I can put my hands on it. I can touch it. Well, as far as an important piece, you say I'm trying not to be a collector. Is there one piece that you own that you really enjoy looking at and having to see every day that's in your room? Or is there something, and or is there something that you would like to acquire that's on your No, I'm not really looking to acquire anything. I, the only things that I've saved are things that meant something to me personally yeah. Yeah. you know like my my props or costumes and well, like that blackstone the black uh, that's thing. really the only thing i ever that's really the only thing i ever i that i remember that i bought was mm-hmm. uh i i was such a fan of transpositions because of seeing harry blackstone jr when i was a teenager that i bought the costume the old man in the whiskers so mm-hmm. so i have that and i have my sword fighting guy you know right and I keep them together, mounted on a on, yeah. on a dressmaker's dolls, so right. they're on display. Right. But uh, uh, so that's why I say I'm desperately on. trying not to keep away from that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lance, always good to uh, see you, and uh, it's it's a fun convention. Uh, has there been something that's been outstanding? I mean, it's been oh. a lot of really great talks. Oh, but... these talks were fantastic. David Charvet, his talk was great today, and yesterday yeah. we had. Every day they've had fantastic yeah. talks. John and Cox was talking today. Yeah, you know, John about, Cox was about great. Cleveland magician, uh, rather Houdini in Cleveland. Houdini it was, and it was Cleveland great. And had some great stories about Houdini. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- these are all just fascinating to me. And tonight uh, they're closing with uh, you know Mike Caveney. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. so so uh, I'm really looking because Mike has always got great information, great yeah. stories. Yeah, and uh, I'm in the middle of reading. Is a sawing book. Oh, yeah, me too. I've got that on. Oh, th- those are just fa- fascinating stories of the history of the sawing and golden and celibate and the lawsuits and it's, yep. it's, it's it's all there. It's all cloak and dagger. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I'd recommend that book too if people don't have that. It's uh, that's one they should go get. Well, Lance, again, as always, very good seeing you. Good talking to you. Thanks, Scott. So. Good to see you. <laughs> Thanks for covering these you things. Bet. So, with the Magic Word Podcast, that was Lance Burton, Scotty out. And while we are still in the dealer's room and uh, packing up, uh, one of the people who was packing up, I'm inter- interrupting then right now, was one of our presenters yesterday, and that's Jim Hagen. Hey there, Jim. Hi, Scott. How are you? I'm fantastic. Uh, you've got a voice for radio. Man, say it again. Say hello. No, thank you very much. It's funny. Once in a while, people come up and they say they enjoy it listening to me on the radio, except I'm not on the radio. so. But you have that kind of a voice like, I must have heard you on the radio. No, you're very kind to say that. <laughs> and also, the way that you write, uh, it is uh, very interesting. You had uh, given me a copy of the uh, Fair Tricks book before, which was interesting about the, because uh, that was a Columbian uh, exposition in Chicago. Is that That's right, right. 1893, absolutely. I was very fascinated by that. You know, uh, um, my friend Don Weiberg, um, had given a tour of that, you know, when he used to work with, then with the uh, Chicago um, Architectural Foundation. And um, so I've gone through all that, and I'm uh, very familiar with all that. But having read that and hearing about everything and the magicians who were there, just a great job. And that's one of many books that you've been writing. And the one that you had just recently completed was the one that you gave the presentation on just the other night. And you can talk a little bit about that, about the uh, Cleveland gang. No, that's fine. Thanks so much for doing that. So the, the uh, Cleveland was... You know, an important industrial city in the growth of America during that period, 1890, 1910. So it had uh, lots of wealth, but it also had lots of immigrants, both from the South and and from uh, Europe, all clamoring for entertainment. And Uh so there was this group of Cleveland magicians who were collaborative, not competitive, but really 20 or 30 of them, a remarkable number, all of whom were chasing that same Houdini-like vaudeville dream, many of whom were active in vaudeville for a little while, 
And then predictably, most went on to other careers, but kept their interest in magic throughout their lives. So it's just this crazy concentration of Clevelanders all chasing that same uh, brass ring. It's a, it's a fun group of people. Well, that's the thing is, people wonder, well, why are you going to be having a collector's convention in Cleveland? What's Cleveland got to offer? Golly, that was a great way of starting because you said, well, here's this, this, and this. And your book, how many pages is that? It looks like it's about uh, 200 pages it's or so. three and a quarter. And, <laughs> and because I'm an academic, you don't have to suffer through this. But at the back, there are 1,350 endnotes. So you won't see many of those in the, in the magic community. It's, it's, it's funny, though, Scott, because a couple of people asked me last night who are new to the magic community. They asked two questions I hadn't anticipated, and I guess I should have addressed. One is, were those real people? didn't occur to me to say that, but they were, in fact, <laughs> real. Why would magicians. they think you're not real? I mean... <laughs> so anyway, and, and then I guess we're all getting older. Uh, did I ever meet any of them? And, of course, when I was a kid growing up in Cleveland in the 60s, all these guys were still around, yeah. and their uh, families and friends didn't care about magic the way we do. Mm-hmm. So I inherited all their stuff that they had kept from their shows and their broadsides and their photos and whatnot. And, mm-hmm. and so they're, um, in a way, I'm a caretaker of those. You became a collector stories. very early and on. I, I, I was uh, I was uh, interested in magic history from the time I was 11. I was uh, at the first magic collectors uh, meeting in the back of Jay Marshall's uh, Magic Incorporated and Francis's in 1970. Wow. Um, and I'm a, I'm a kidder, as you already know. But I, so I was 15 at that uh, conference. I was the youngest person there. And when uh, people, they ran out of people to honor, I don't know, five or ten years ago, and Richard Kaufman and I were honored. I was still the third youngest people person person there. So so we need we need new blood and there's new blood at this uh meeting this time which is great. Well, that's a good thing I think that the um uh, Magicana is doing, you know, with the Magic Hall and other things that, uh, particularly since Julie Ang had just taken over as editor of the magazine and all of this, that uh, trying to bring this, I think, to younger people who will become collectors. I have seen a few young people walking around, uh, mostly older people, but I, I'd say that the younger people have certainly brought the average age down a little bit, so we are, I'm, I'm excited about that. No, I agree. It's, it's great to have, have new blood and, and uh, have a, a vibrant, lively audience like this, a vibrant community of people. So, And someone interested who might want to carry on that tradition, it's like, okay, this might be a young person who will take my stuff and you know, care for it. That's right. And I think it's, it's as, as I know you do, as much about stories as this is about artifacts. It's not just about sort of accumulating things. Right. But, but appreciating the, the heritage of this uh, art that we both love. That's what I was just talking to Bruce Averbrook about from the standpoint that he's got so many things over there that I'm sure everything has a story as to how he acquired it and means something. I mean, it's like in my house and I walk around and, I mean, my house is a museum also of my own <laughs> making. And so when I look at things, I, they, everything means everything. Same thing like with T-shirts where I got a T-shirt that says something, you know. So, yeah, we all have stories. No, that's absolutely, absolutely right. <laughs> um, and, you know, while there, while there are dealers here selling things so you can acquire that way, um, you know, if Bob Lund were here, as you know, he would say there's there's something for free that no one else is focused on that you can begin to accumulate that tells its own story, that has its own pattern. And so it's not uh, it's it's not uh, as hopeless as trying to acquire a first edition of Scott's. Right. There's there's something out there uh, that, that tells a story that can be yours. There was some advice that John Cox had given me a long time ago, and that is that, and someone had told him, and that is, don't try and buy a lot of things throughout the year, but spend your the same amount of money to buy one thing per year, that however much that you can afford, buy that, and then over a period of time, you know, a dozen years, you got a lot of really, really nice things, you know, that have probably appreciated value, but there again, like with art you and music, you don't uh, and books, you buy something that you want and not something because you think it's going to appreciate in value. 
you know. I think that's right. And, and as John Cox's presentation today um, uh, illustrated, and, and several of my other books do, as institutional collections get digitized, even though they may not have a specific focus on magic, you can find more and more artifacts, images, information from whether it's in the University of Texas and your public library, the British Library. You can you can have an interest where you can you can learn a lot and be the become the expert right. without spending a penny. That will surprise everybody else in our magic community. So there are lots of opportunities to collect knowledge. Right. Not not just pieces of paper or, or props. Good. Jim, thanks very much for your time. Very kind. Thank you. Great to see you. Thanks for everything you do. <laughs> well, you're welcome. And uh, thank you for the presentation you gave the other day and everything. So looking forward to seeing you down the road. Thanks. So the Magic Word Podcast. That was Jim Hagee, Scotty Allen. We were just talking uh, a moment ago there with uh, Jim Hagee and, and also then with Bruce Averbrook as far as the future of collecting and young people being involved uh, with collecting. And it's uh, always encouraging to see younger people who are here. And I thought it would be interesting to talk with someone who is a collector and who represents the young uh, people. And that's Ben Wynn. Hi there, Ben. Hi, Scott. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. And I did recognize you from the uh, you know Lance and David's uh, Collector's Corner, Sunday's Collector Corner, because yeah. uh, you've been a very avid collector for a long time. And you're how old now? I am 19 now. So, <laughs> and you are quite a historian. Yeah, well, I, I love the history of magic. I started out as a performer. I kind of performed and I dabbled, and I was not a good performer. Okay. I, and so I really got interested in the history. I met Adele, and I heard her stories, and I kind of learned about uh, all of the fascinating figures in magic, and that really got me down this path. Mm-hmm. And um, I've just really been enjoying it. So, yeah. Is there a particular area that you collect? I mean, do you like posters? Do you like books? Do you like ephemera? I mean, is it like all of it, or is there a particular thing that you prefer? Well, I really like postcards and signed Smaller photographs things. and okay. books, pa- paper mostly. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I like stuff, uh, you know, I like the big names. I like Blackstone and Thurston. Well, Thurston's hard to find, but uh, Keller and... That type of stuff. But I also really like learning about obscure performers or performers who haven't really been explored. Like Rotaire that uh, Richard Cote talked about. Exactly. Exactly. And recently I've uh, been researching a troupe of dwarf magicians. What? Performers. So, um, and this was spurred by an acquisition of a few postcards I found of them, and I've kind of gone down this rabbit hole. How long ago was that? I mean, like the turn of the century in the 1900s? They started out in 1906, and they went through to about 1940. And it was a troop of them? There were three of them. Okay, traveled together. Yeah, it was two brothers, and then one of them married another little person. And did they work like in theaters or like carnivals or sideshows? They worked in vaudeville, and then they worked in England. They were performers in England. And they were called Leonard, Seaman, and Sonia. Okay. And they started out as the Franco brothers. So, so you're going to start to do, yeah, do some so, research. We might hear you talk about that yeah, next year. Maybe, maybe <laughs> we'll see. But um, maybe I'm hoping to write something for Jim Hagee's um, mm-hmm. publication. So, right. we'll see. We'll see. A friend of mine in Houston has, uh, for a long time, been researching. Um, Lesser-known magicians who were Civil War magicians, yeah, yeah, who were working during that five years from 1870 to 75, and uh, I don't know that he's ever put the book together, but he's got uh, he's got a lot of research, he's got a lot of uh, material there. That sounds fascinating, and I I really look forward to reading that. Yeah, I do too. I you know I, when I talk with him time that I'm how it's going, and he's got so many other projects. I mean, it's just anyhow. I, I just I think it's fascinating to to learn about a lot of the people like Augustus Rapp. I remember yeah, when that yeah. book had come out. Forty you know. Miler, he was it, a big Forty Miler. There you go. Great. Yeah. yeah. 
And uh, so aside from that, you say you, so you don't perform anymore. You're really more of a collector. I I'm guess. more of a collector, yeah. 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 What do your parents say? I mean, as far as where do you put this stuff? And Well, I, they are... They supportive? They su- they're supportive. That's right. They support, they're, my dad doesn't really understand it, and my mom, <laughs> you know, I'd say the same. But she, she, they... They really support me, and I'm very, I'm very blessed to have mm-hmm. such supportive parents. And my two brothers, I have two younger brothers, and they just, they don't understand it at all, and they think it's stupid. But that's okay, because <laughs> uh, you know, I think they're some of the things they do, you know, the video games. I'm not really into it. So when you, you're not in college yet, or have you started? I'm in college. You're a freshman college. right now. I'm a freshman in college. What are you studying? I'm currently undecided, but I'm thinking about studying law. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, that also requires a lot of research, and I feel like this has kind of prepared me, you know, uh, to do research. Doing research in magic has prepared me kind of, you know, for this law thing. And so, That's insightful and inspirational because oh, I think you. for people to hear that, to say, I'm, I'm a young person, I'm thinking about studying law, and magic has helped me focus yeah, yeah. more to learn law. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So it's... What a story. Yeah. Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Scott. I wish you great luck on that. That's going to be great. And uh, also for more things that you're going to be doing, I'm sure, with your life as it goes on. Thank you so much, Scott. (laughs) This has been great. So for the Magic Word Podcast, that was Ben Wynn. Scotty out. The convention is still going on. A lot of stuff still yet to go for today, but I don't want this to, opportunity to slip by because there are a lot of people here who are collectors and have interesting collections uh, and also different ways of displaying their collection. And my friend Bill Winters, who just gave an excellent presentation a little bit earlier here today, had introduced me then to reintroduce me to Cato, who we had met at Abbas but uh, so many years ago. And you go by the way, so here he is, Cato Holler. Hey, Cato. Hi. Good afternoon, everybody. So are you uh, planning on going back to uh, Abbas later this year? I-, I would love to. I don't know if we'll make it or not. Oh, okay. But, uh, well, if you do, I'll be there. At least I'm planning on myself. So see okay, you. Right. So Bill was telling me a little bit about your uh, collection, and it's kind of uh, interesting. You want to talk a little bit about that? Well, we're in Western display. <laughs> we're in the, in Western North Carolina, and uh, uh, we've been collecting for a good while. Uh, we were bibliophiles first. We collected books, and the books were overrunning the house. So we decided we'd better add on a library, and uh, in doing so, we uh, included a. Uh, uh, a steampunk bar. My one of my sons is uh, an artist, and he designed this bar for us, which is Jules Verne themed. How cool! Uh, Jules Verne was my idol. That's how I got into cave exploration. Our whole family's involved in speleology as well as magic. Okay. And uh, you weren't a ge- aren't a geologist by trade, are you? Well, I, st- I started out as a geologist and a geology major, and I switched over to uh, uh, biological sciences and ended up being a dentist. So I practiced dentistry for 32 years. Different kind of uh, geology, looking down people's throats. <laughs> I tell people caves and cavities. It's all all related. <laughs> and uh, so, so we uh, put in the library, and uh, uh, my wife. This is Susan, my wife. She's yes. here with us today. Uh, she designed the bookcase, and she should have been an architect years ago. She uh, uh, said, "Well, you can pack a lot of books in a small space if you make the bookcase open up like a gigantic book." So that's the way we designed the, the bookcases. Uh, they all opened up, and on the inside uh, of each one is a, a series of shelves, and the back wall is shelves, and uh, uh, the corresponding uh, uh, leaf of the book. Leaf of the book, yeah, right. Yeah, right. the in, inside yeah. of shelves. And on the outside, when it's closed, it just looked like wooden paneling. And we use that to display some of our magic posters. Uh-huh. So it serves dual purpose. Wow. Susan? Well, he has more than 5,000 books in that one room. <laughs> So, it's not just a small collection. Uh, well, it's still growing, I'm sure, <laughs> especially this weekend. 
And so books are the main thing, but from what uh, Bill was telling me then also, I guess your son is interested and has got uh, some Batman stuff or the downstairs in the cave? or Oh, uh, well, like I say, we've been involved in caving for years, so we, we uh, do have a cave on the lower level of the house. So when we take tourists, people see not only our... Uh, our apparatus collection, and I like small apparatus, and uh, uh, we take them on a tour of the cave as well. Anyone in particular that you collect uh, as far as the apparatus? Uh, small apparatus. Uh, or uh, uh, no, no particular brand, uh, just uh, whatever suits my fancy at the okay. time. Yeah. I, I like small uh, metal apparatus, uh, fire globes and that sort of thing. Yeah. Susan, you were going to say something there? Another thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you something funny. Yeah. She, uh, we collected some some large uh, pieces, like uh, you know, zigzag illusions and stage pieces. Yeah. We have a, we have a stage inside our library also. Okay, performing area. So and the club come over and perform there, I guess. Oh, uh, we, oh yeah. We not only have a stage, we have uh, uh, spotlights and and uh, seating. You know, in We're, fact, we have some seating that is from the 1920s, where you put your hat underneath the seats. Oh, okay. That's really interesting in that way. And we have a loading dock out back, so we can load uh, larger illusions. Things. Exactly. But Susan told me a while back, she said, don't get any more large boxes. <laughs> no more large illusions. And we just recently acquired a... Yeah, she's a, making a no-no, please. <laughs> we, we just, we just recently acquired a, a large collection of large illusions mm-hmm. uh, don't know where to put it and she well we, we have a storage facility for okay. part of that <laughs> but we, we enjoy it uh, that sounds phenomenal uh and uh it's been growing all the time and, and the fact that you've got some more room for that then too is this something that uh people come over and research and look through books uh, time to time we, we do uh, as i say we, we've got a diverse collection not only of magic but uh, also uh, uh Natural history and, and caves. So we have uh, cave explorers come over all the time and do yeah. research. We we maintain the cave files for North and South Carolina. Uh-huh. So we have a lot of researchers coming in, uh, uh, people from U.S. Fish and Wildlife, Wildlife Resources Commission, and other, right. other places that need information on the uh, on the caves. Right. That that sounds fascinating. Uh, and as far as the books go, is there anything that is of particular interest? I mean, is it close up illusion stage? I mean, or is it just some whatever happens to interest you at the time when you buy a book? Uh, I enjoy the, the uh, biographies of the, the various okay. magicians. I, I, I so really you have enjoy- all of Todd Cars and all of my oh, Caveneys yeah. and all I, that. I really yeah. enjoy the historical aspect. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, I do too. And so I've got certain shells that are just for that then exactly. as well. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Um, Fascinating. Well, Cato, thank you very much. I'm glad. Oh, and as far as anybody wanting to come ever and visit, is this something that's open? We, we, we love to have people. Uh, How do they get in contact with you and uh, where you are? Well, uh, our email is H-O-L-L-E-R-S, and the number two, hollers2 at frontier.com. Okay. And uh, they can reach us there, or our, our home phone is uh, 828-652-6040. And uh, we just love having magicians visit. And, and where exactly? Which city and where? We are 32 miles east of Asheville, North Carolina. Well, Asheville's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're in Marion, Marion, North yeah. Carolina. And uh, we, A little we, bit of paradise over there. Oh, <laughs> we love it. We love the mountains. Yeah, I can see why. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Cato. Thank you. It's been our pleasure. <laughs> so for the Magic Word Podcast, this is Scotty L. We just finished the final session, actually, here on the uh, third and final day, and uh, they had three more great presenters, and then soon we'll be having a dinner, cocktail party, 
not necessarily in that order. Uh, but I got with me uh, a good friend, John Stetson. Hey, John. Hey, hey Scott. <laughs> so nice to be with you, as always. As always. Uh, one quick question. Uh, you have been involved, I know, with uh, the Mentalism Convention, your Mindvention, from the standpoint that you ha- you uh, I remember Bob Casting, some of the guys. Did you do some things like before the Mindvention, like it was a pre-convention? Yeah, we've thing. done it. We we did uh, well, several pre-events. You know, Bob Kohler and I Bob Kohler. did a great deal yeah. Yeah. Uh, of work together, and mm-hmm. Bob Cassidy was involved, Lior Menor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, actually Bob and I are going to be uh, getting back in the saddle to are do you? some very special This products. year? Yes, okay. yes. We're, Anything that uh, you can announce now? Well, or? it's going to be um, some great uh, teaching uh, sessions that are going to be available. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some great... Uh, Conversations between Bob and I that I think would be a great value to anybody uh, performing practical uh, mentalism. Mm-hmm. And also we're finishing up on some Scott Alexander projects uh, okay. and, and projects um, to bring those to fruition to, uh, once again, you know, just uh, perpetuate the good memory of our right. friend and lend support to his family. I was going to be working on a lecture tour for him because he just finished and was uh, going to be going out to promote his newest book at the time. And he said, as soon as I get off the cruise ship, we'll get together and uh, finalize yeah. this. It was yeah. just um, very unfortunate. I know. A group of us were together in uh, in Las Vegas. And I remember I actually was the one who unfortunately had to inform Alan New, who, mm-hmm. who would – you know, they were Denny. Exactly. Denny, Denny boys. Right. They right. were Denny boys. The, I know, uh, they the took triplets it, there. Took it bad. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. It was, it's, uh, it is, it, it is still stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's what makes today's, today such a great day for us. We're, are living our passion. We're living our life. There's nothing like the history of conjuring. I've been around so many of these sessions. I am not a quote unquote collector. I collect nothing more. Well, I have some stuff, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, for me, it's the history, it's the stories, it's the camaraderie, and mm-hmm. it's my friends. Right. So that's why these events are so so special, different from any other type of magic gathering. Well put. Oh, that's yeah. exactly right. And I love it. And you know, when we think of Scotty, or we and we think of so many of our friends who, mm-hmm. uh, they're great collector friends who are. Uh, no longer with us. Yeah. That once again, it's just such a joy to uh, to be here, to be now, to be present, and to have the great uh, gift mm-hmm. that so many that we are so wealthy based on our experiences and our mm-hmm. stories, wealth of knowledge and, and friendship, and all of it. And um, I am truly blessed and highly favored, as our good friend uh, Joey says, <laughs> uh, as I do too, mm-hmm. to. Uh, to be here, to be with my friend Scott, yeah. to be with all my great buddies here, Tim Felix. I can't. I'm not even going to begin to uh, <laughs> to go through the the list and roster because I'd be I'd be listing every attendee. And I did not know Lance Burton was going to be here until I saw the uh, John Deere tractor parked out front. <laughs> and you knew immediately. Hey, Lance must be here. <laughs> That's exactly. right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I want to talk a little bit about uh, right now the uh, the afternoon session, uh, oh, yeah. and the first one was interesting. That was uh, uh, Jay Hunter talking about don't throw away those throwout cards, and it was uh, I, many of us do have the uh, famous Thurston card with James sure. on the back of that, but there, yeah. I didn't realize there were so so many others. Oh, really? Available. I know yeah. some fascinating uh, yeah. uh, revelation came out of that. Some great images, yeah. and uh, once again, so many great stories attached. To, to individuals and so many people that 
what people would not know necessarily off the top of our head, mm-hmm. but as in everything else in this life, and I know we've talked about this, Scott, mm-hmm. what's our greatest teacher is history. Yeah. That's true. And, and, there, and there's so much, uh, uh, there's so much in each individual story of, of every magician. Every artifact. I mean, I was just talking everything. to yeah. Bruce Averbach about that, about the things that we've got in our collection, because each one has a story about how you acquired it and maybe mm. the provenance of each item, you know, that, yeah. uh, that's why it's so yeah. important to us. And, and one of the things I love is when a collection reflects the collector. Mm-hmm. Well, I think my, my favorite example of that is Brad Henderson's wonderful mm-hmm. collection. Yeah. It's all so Brad. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, in true. in his field of interest, yeah. and that's why I really, really enjoyed yesterday at at, mm-hmm. at, at Bruce's. Uh, in a in an odd way, we were discussing how it was. Uh, I want to say a better experience, but um, then going to David Copperfield's two years mm-hmm, ago mm-hmm. over here, and of course, nothing can touch the it Copperfield collection. Yeah, but it was nice because it was intimate. You didn't feel overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And as we were needing to go through, also, I'm sure you've mentioned the incredible precision of, well, for going back two years to the Copperfield mm-hmm. tour right. and to, and to the tour yesterday. Yeah. What a great job they did and everything was timed so well, right. but yet curated I, by different people in each of the areas. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't feel rushed. No, that was that even was though the they had thing. a timer on each. I yeah. didn't feel that way. Right? Yeah, I didn't feel it. I think that was the difference at Bruce at Bruce's. Mm-hmm. You know, at uh, you know at David's. There's okay. There's. 87 guard ducks. You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> well, I love it. It's kind of like a James Bond quote when he said, well, I like uh, Dom Perignon, which is different from Beluga Caviar. I like them both. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, next we had uh, Gay Fiori that was talking about a half oh, century yeah. of magic in the, uh, on, the, on the block. And it's interesting to kind of hear about the first magic auction, if you will, uh, or I should say auction of magic ephemera uh, mm. and other kinds of uh, props and things and how that has grown to what yes. we have now, of course, with the digital. Uh, market that we have on the internet and everything then too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and it's it's kind of like the the last hurrah was that Egyptian hall mm-hmm. uh, gathering, which unfortunately I was working and could not be there. That was near neck of the woods where you live, up and, there well, Pennsylvania, and, and uh, I would have just so loved to have been there because as. They said today, no internet bids, right. no phone bids. You had to be there. You had to be there, and you had to bid. And I, I'm lousy in auctions, but I look at some of my, our friends, like Roger Dreyer and yeah. stuff. He knows exactly what he's going to do. Not going any further, you know. Right. It's like I mean, it's it's a it's a <laughs> the collector mentality is so different. <laughs> Okay, that with with every with everything else, I was never able to acquire a, a large collection of say lithographs that I, that I yeah. like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because so many of my close friends were you know all star uh, elite collectors, mm-hmm. and they'd say, Johnny, I can't sell it to you because it's worth far more. Uh, I can get far more for it than it's worth, mm-hmm. and I don't want to do that to you. Right. Uh, in retrospect, I thank them for it, <laughs> but it, it was frustrating back then. But it's so fun to see the auctions and 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 to just watch them. Right. Watch them, and uh, and it was fun. And at the end, whenever he actually auctioned off two things mm-hmm. to kind of show you what he does with the Potter and Potter yeah. there as well, and there were two items that went. Pretty good money. Yeah, and, and and but I'll tell you, my favorite part is of that was watching Mike Caveney, who was standing on the side getting ready to present, 
I've never seen Mike that intensely interested in anything. <laughs> he was, I mean, just the way he was, you know, in in the thing. I go, wow, it's like he's watching a ball game or something, yeah. you know. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just the the. the it's not that there's no well substitute for live, as we say that's in, true. in in everything, but the uh, live auction, you know, that's uh, that's something. And everybody felt that it's kind of like what well, I need to buy it because and I do, and if, and if I don't, I'm going to lose out. It's that FOMO thing, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, everything. There were two items, and they started at a dollar, mm-hmm. and the uh, the one which was a uh, an SAM card that was signed by Houdini, someone's yeah. uh, membership card, yeah. went for almost two thousand dollars. I had a chance to get one of the well, I know here, the one that got away, right? Every yeah. <laughs> so many of the people here, but I saw one that was for sale in Florida, and I was so interested in it, and not just because it was the Houdini autograph, but it was Lester Lake's SAM card, hmm. and it was in an autograph store, you yeah. know, mounted things, so they would have no reference for Lester exactly. Lake, and I'm going right. Oh boy, it was like six fifty. I should have just grabbed it. That oh well, day, you know. I, of course, I can relate to that oh, as well. Yeah, we can there, all go. there was an autograph store in Dallas, and I was at the gallery, and I saw someone told me about a Houdini uh, auto, autograph is there, and this would have been not all that long ago. It was in it was within this century. I want to mm-hmm. say it was uh, it wasn't in the nineties. It was yeah. in the early two thousand, and uh, it was like for seventy five bucks. Yeah, and, you know, it's like yeah. in a picture, and, and and I guess had provenance with mm. it, you know, proving it was it was yeah. his. But anyhow, yeah. you can never tell. <laughs> I remember saving up the going. Hmm, Carter window card, twelve dollars and fifty cents. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 I yeah. I, I bought them, yeah. <laughs> bit the bullet and did it. Yeah, so yeah, you sprung for it. And then finally, we close today. Speaking of uh, Mike Caveney, uh was talking about Otis uh, Lithograph in Cleveland, Ohio, since we are here in Cleveland, and he was talking about the uh, wonderful cards and, and posters that Carter had made uh, and working with uh, them, and the correspondence kind of coming back and forth, oh, which was yeah. amazing. Oh, it was so great, you so know, flowery. Carter's, yeah. yeah, Carter's. Uh, Style for writing those uh, yeah. those letters and whatnot, uh, just so beautiful, so beautiful, and uh, all real life stories too, like the other lithograph company having to chase Charlie for money mm-hmm. and all this kind. You know, of I wanted thing. to ask him then the question that why was it that Otis decided to take that leap when he had stiffed the other company? Well, probably they had no idea. Well, he must have made good on it, I yeah. guess, because they continued yeah. to work well, with it. Well, he said he wrote the check. Yeah. Okay, well, there you go. And <laughs> but he never, he never said it was any good. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but he did, he did say he wrote the check. So we've got that. That's true. Yeah, we've got that. And there's no one better than Mike to be talking about about posters yeah. and with his... Because he was mm-hmm. one to, you referred to earlier, you know, the auction they had back uh, then that was the uh, Egyptian Hall. Yeah. Uh, because he and George Daly were the ones who mm. bought that. Who'd, and that was the thing. Whenever they decided how much it was worth, it's like, we're going to start up here. I yeah. mean, no one had an idea whether it was worth 100 or 1,000 yeah. or, or 100,000. I mean, you just throw a number out and mm-hmm. see where it goes and people are buying them. Yeah. Uh, and as we close over here, I do want to say I want to uh, thank, uh, I guess, Morgan Litho was the one who printed this amazing program that we've got. It is on uh, a nice stock of paper, high quality. I mean, I've not seen a program like this yeah. ever for ever any convention that I've attended. And why did they go there? Because? Because um, that they had uh, they had printed uh, they printed who? Uh, it's Morgan Litho. Uh, yeah, it's Morgan Litho. But um, uh, there was a series of magic lithographs that did come from Morgan. Oh, that's right. And yeah. that's, and that's 
and they just said, they said, wouldn't it be neat if they were to do that? If they would do that, the program, yeah, and, yeah, and they so, have. So that was great. that's where they went for it. So yeah. I think that's a great. Uh, well, a John, great thing. as always, very good seeing you. Scott is always <laughs> fun, and it's always a pleasure. And I just love you, and love you too. Love the podcast, Thanks. and uh, anytime. I'm. Thank you for uh, you bet allowing me. So with the Magic Word Podcast, that was John Stetson, Scotty out. Finally, we get to talk with Bill Smith, who is the organizer, and Bill, you've done such a great job. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for waiting till the end of the convention (laughs) to talk, because I've been exhausted running around. It's been a great convention. Yes. Cleveland. Come to Cleveland. People don't realize it's a really great city. city. There is so much going on here, and uh, the hotel was the perfect. I've done five of these uh, Magic Collectors conventions. This was the best hotel we had for a small 180-person convention. So I just want to thank everybody that came. Scott's always, you're the only one that does updates live and, yeah. and bring it out too. But, you know, any of you guys are listening to this, we're going to be in Vegas in a couple of years. In a couple of years so next year. Magic Collector. taking a break? Maybe for I'm a year? I probably will. MagicCollectorExpo.com. Get on there and uh, uh, we can we can we can only handle about 180 here. I think we can handle a little more in Vegas. In Vegas, so, yeah. And so you know which hotel possibly go Orleans? It'll I be guess. the Orleans for yeah. sure. Yeah. But I just have to work out David Copperfield's schedule. I understand. But and the reason we're not doing an extra is because he's, he's not be, ready. It's not ready. We're gonna wait until yeah. he's gonna be. He's been very the, busy this year, yeah. and there's three rooms that we really want to finish. So, mm-hmm. but anyways, thank you so much, Scott. Thank you for and the job that you've done. I'm gonna trump you, Bill. Out. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Thanks again. What a wonderful show we had here this evening with Tim Hill, and we had Alan Howard and uh, Kerry Pollock as being the master of ceremonies. And, of course, can't forget uh, Ricky Smith, Jr., who was the uh, Guinness World Book record holder for scaling cards. It was just a wonderful evening, great food, good fellowship. Everybody's still kind of hanging around right now saying their goodbyes as we get ready to uh, head out tomorrow morning and everything. So, again, Bill's been kind of the chief cook and bottle washer doing a little bit of everything. He's had some assistance from David Sandy and, and Lance Rich and so many other people, but really he's kind of been on top of everything. So, again, I want to thank uh, Bill for everything that he has done. It's been a phenomenal convention. And, uh, yeah, check out the website so this way that you know whenever we're going to be having the convention in a couple of years or if that changes, we're going to be having it then next year. So, from Cleveland, Ohio, and from the 2023 Magic Collectors Expo, Scotty out.